has been so fun this summer to see different travel excursions that our families have taken. And having said that, I'm looking at the Edstrom family. It has been such a delight um, to see you traveling through Europe and now to see you return and knowing that others have traveled and been to special places to visit family or just to visit something brand new. And others are traveling to come and see still more people for family reunions and special times. And we have our sort of snowbirds are flying back. It feels safe to come back to Longmont now that the cold has passed. And this is a perfect time to consider a spiritual practice of departing and arriving. And having just picked up someone from the airport, once again, I went through the confusion. You know, we're arriving, so are they, but then we set them off to depart, but we're arriving for them to depart. And which, which way do you go in the airport? <laughs> it's an age-old confusion that works on my mind quickly. Departing and arriving are two sides of the same coin. They are intricately connected. In one moment, you are departing your current state and you are already in the process of arriving. And once you have arrived, you have fully departed. And for some of us, the plan to depart takes weeks of planning, sometimes even longer. Are you the kind of family that sort of leaves stuff in a special room, like this is for this trip? Or you have, um, if you're traveling in a van, in a sleeper van or an RV, you know you have your plastic tubs, where you have your towels, and you have different cleaning utensils, or you products or things like that. I've been visiting folks, and I've been seeing these tubs, and I know exactly what they're for. Two weeks ago, uh, I came into the church, and it was the Monday after school ended for Montessori, and the hallway was completely packed with things. I was so intrigued that I had to walk down. I didn't see any people. All I saw was stuff. I'm like, oh, it must be deep clean season, a good day to call in sick. And so I went down. And I said, uh, what's going on? And they said, don't worry, the hallway will be clear. I said, I don't care about the hallway. What are you doing? Are you cleaning? They said, oh, no, we're changing classrooms. So they're doing a switcheroo. And so they got that done. The students were off for a week. The students came back. And like right around Wednesday, I was curious again. So I walked down and I said, uh, how's it going? And the teacher said, First, she didn't say anything. I said, no, really, I want to know. How's it going? And she said, it's chaotic. I said, well, say more about that. And she said, well, you know, like I used to be in this classroom, now I'm in this classroom. I have to open every single cabinet to find what I'm looking for because I don't know where that is. And I said, oh, I totally get it. I walked into the supply closet for months thinking I was going into the garage in our new house. She said, but there was a student who really brought this home for all the teachers. She said, there was a student that just stood in the hall 
and then just sort of went like this. <laughs> and she said, yeah, that, that expressed a lot for all of us. And what I noticed on my end of the hallway was it was quiet. It was surprisingly quiet. I mean, I know what time it is by the noise levels. By the end of the year, there was only constant noise. All teachers understand that, as do parents, I'm sure. But it was quiet, and I wondered that that might be instructive for departing and arriving. Slow down, get your bearing. Enjoy a little quiet so that your brain can process the change. And then I'll just add, just take a few breaths. There's lots of ways to process the experience of departing and arriving. And this morning, Lynette Moyer is going to share with us some of her experience and as it was written in a poem. Lynette, welcome. My name is Lynette Moyer, and um, I thank Sarah for graciously inviting me to read a poem that I wrote about a year ago. <clears throat> but it's about, uh, the poem is about an experience that I had a very long time ago. And, that's, and the poem tries to consolidate the experience of finding oneself in a foreign place. The essential surprise and the loneliness that one who is clearly different and stands out like a sore thumb. So I'll explain first how I came to be that person. It was long ago, but still very vivid in my memory. A couple months before I turned 18, my world got turned upside down. I was suddenly accepted into AFS, a student exchange program, and I was sent to another country for my senior year. When I applied for the program, I'd hoped to be sent to France. I'd studied French for all my high school years under an amazing teacher and was becoming pretty good in French. I'd learned about French culture. My family had recently hosted a French student for the prior school year. It was all about France. When I heard nothing that summer, I knew I wasn't going to France. I thought it was all decided. I thought I hadn't been accepted into the program. But AFS matches students with the families that they think will be most compatible. I got a telegram in early January of my senior year. I'd been matched with a family after all. My family lived in Brazil. I had to leave in 10 days. So much for the careful planning. <laughs> My Longmont family had hosted many exchange students. The house I live in today, which is my parents' old house, has been the temporary home of a Dutch student, a French student, a New Zealander, an Argentinian. I was experienced in welcoming international students into my family, helping them with English. 
American customs. I had argued with my Dutch brother about the difference between football and soccer. So I never considered not going. I was ready for the privilege of having this adventure myself. <clears throat> but Brazil, in 10 days? I knew nothing when I arrived in Rio about two weeks later. Everything was different. Growing up, I'd heard plenty of Spanish, but I'd never heard a single word of Portuguese. And as some of you know, that's a, it doesn't sound like Spanish, so it was hard to, to make that transition. I, um, it was a very cold winter day when I left Colorado, and I arrived in Rio in the middle of summer. I was a small-town Western girl. Now I lived in Belo Horizonte, which is a city of about a million people, about a day's drive from Rio. I shared a room with Solange, my Brazilian sister. We lived in a downtown apartment building. I had to get used to taking public transportation. At home, I'd attended a large public high school and a Protestant church. In Brazil, I was enrolled in a small private Catholic girls' school where we wear uniforms and attended mass every day. My Brazilian family never attended mass, though my Brazilian mother practiced a form of spiritualism that had African roots. At home growing up, I'd had help make meals and wash dishes. Here, the family employed two maids who lived in a room off the kitchen. They did all the cooking and shopping. The food was completely different. Tropical fruits, amazing bread, black beans and rice. I loved every bit of it. I gained weight. One of the maids, Teresa, gave me my breakfast. It was called Café de Manhã every morning and sent me off to school. As a North American, I was actually giving more, given more credit than I deserved. I was expected to be more glamorous, more sophisticated than I was. My very kind family had probably expected more. It was they who taught me sophistication and glamour. <laughs> As I walked the city streets, I was obviously different, especially for not knowing Portuguese and being very pale-skinned, even compared to other Americans. Though I lived with a wonderful family, I was cut off from everything at home. I never heard English. I got letters, but I couldn't phone home. It was too expensive. I kept a diary. Diaries are always evidence of what really happened. And what really happened is that halfway through that year, my entries are all written in Portuguese. I had made the switch. I finally could really get things. I could converse, understand, use the idioms, the hand gestures. I made a lot of mistakes, but I did learn. I could get the jokes, and I really knew I had switched when I began dreaming in Portuguese. When I went back to Colorado six or seven months later, I would occasionally have to try to remember the, Amer the English words. And another thing happened on my return. I saw my own culture and my own people, my hometown, my family, with brand new eyes. 
my very first impression was that we were an awfully quiet people, <laughs> and at that time, a less physically close people. No hugs and kisses at every interaction. I missed getting to celebrate Carnival and other amazing all-night intergenerational celebrations, coming home at dawn, dancing samba, singing at the top of our lungs. Also, the dating rules were different. For a whole year, I hadn't been alone with a man, but was always chaperoned. But mainly, I noticed that now I knew what it was like to be a person who was different, the one with the accent or the weird name that nobody could pronounce, the different colored skin, the weird hairstyle. The Brazilians created a whole new me. I was more glamorous coming home. I now drank coffee and wine. I could dance samba. And when I, when I received heartfelt letters from my Brazilian sister and girlfriends, written in their lovely Brazilian handwriting and talking about saudade, I knew what saudade meant. And I knew I would never be able to translate that word into English. And now to my poem. I wrote this poem a year ago one day remembering that valuable experience of being the stranger in a new place and one unusual friendship that resulted. This is called Misplaced Persons. It wasn't easy. The idioms, hand gestures, remembering, remembering to heat water for baths, they remolded me, created new clothes, taught me how to talk, to dance, took me sightseeing, hand in hand, under the palms. Burnt coffee scented the mosaics. Kissing, one kiss per cheek, expected upon meeting, even meeting strangers. But hands that groped me on the trolley as I rode to school or at the movies, were these things I should just expect? Were catcalls friendly that called me names? They got it wrong, guessed wrong nationality, attributions all wrong. At first, I had no way to clarify, correct, even greet them in a language I had never met. I imagined a silent friendship with the maid, <clears throat> black, older than me, who harbored in her eyes a sense of humor in her room off the kitchen where she sewed and practiced her religion. She offered tokens of compassion, perhaps an ice cream, pity for a girl with such a pale face. In her face, I found another hearth. But home remained, for both, another place. What are your stories of departure or arrival? In scripture, there are many stories where the command to go are from God. Go to the land that I will show you, God said to Abram in the 12th chapter of Genesis. 
Leave your country, your family, and your family's home for the land that I will show you. Not always the one you prepared for. And we're told that Abram left, just as God said, taking with him his wife, his nephew, and all the possessions, and listen to this, people they had acquired to a land that was inhabited. Abram left as a person of means, a person who not only acquired possessions, but people as possessions. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sent out the disciples. Do you remember how Jesus sent them out? Two by two. Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet. Don't even take the dust with you when you move on. The disciples left as poor ones. They left to serve, not to be served. Abram was promised much. Go to this place and I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make you famous and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Jesus didn't promise anything. In fact, he prepared them to not always be welcomed, but to not leave with hostility, just to leave. It raises the question, how do we depart? And how do we arrive? As people of means or as people who have come to serve? Do we depart and arrive as a VIP? As a fellow traveler? As a guest? Pack it in and pack it out? As descendants of the Mayflower, as a descendant of the Mayflower, this is my family, I often wonder how the history of this country would be different if my ancestors had arrived as guests. How might an awareness of departing and arriving shift your approach to travel? or to encounters with different people? What if the aim was to depart and arrive with grace? The grace that heals and transforms the breaches or departures from the interdependence of unity that we share with creation and all beings.
And you know this, you know that departing and arriving do not necessarily involve leaving home. Or even physically moving. There are physical thresholds and new frontiers of the mind to be traveled and traversed. One of my new favorite words for experiences of arriving and departing is unlearning. I'm remembering a story that one of our church families told me of a trip in Texas where they went to a church that was quite large and had several services in the day. And this church person, like Lynette, is also a writer, and so they journaled about it. And I loved that they just kept using the word different and not qualifying it as good or bad, just different. It was so different. And here are all the things that were different. And so the unlearning was that there's more than one way to have church. There might be a way that is most familiar or most comfortable, but what a gift to be in a completely different setting where people call it church also. I'm also reminded of the unlearning that takes place in the gun safe giveaways. For me and for most of the volunteers, there's an experience where you can just see mutual suspicion. And here's how it plays out. People come up into the line and they say, "Um, so what do we have to do? And the volunteers say, you don't have to do anything. Here's our safes, which kind would you like? What's the catch? There is no catch. Do I have to show you ID? No, you don't have to show us ID. On the other end, when we're unloading some of the vans, a volunteer will inevitably say, Someone should stand by these so nobody takes them. The mutual suspicion. And I always say, I'll I'll stand there. And then I take the box and walk away. And then inevitably, the people who are standing in line to receive the safe say, can I help you out? And I'm like, yes, thank you. There's unlearning there about what we had been taught about each other, about church people, or about people who, I'm not even gonna finish that sentence. I'm gonna let you finish it in your mind. What have you been unlearning? I I love the writings of John O'Donohue And if you've been here for a few years, you know that. And one of the things that he introduced to me was the concept of thresholds and new horizons as a way of talking about this expansiveness that comes from unlearning or departing and arriving. And so we're going to enter into a time of prayer. And first we're going to have a time of silence with a prayer that is printed in your bulletin, and that's going to appear on your screen. But first, I have to tell you that our office gremlin has not departed. Um, There's a last line in the poem, in the blessing, in the bulletin that's missing. 
It's a good one. So look on the screen and you'll see it. <laughs> and write it down, because I, I can tell you what it says, but you'll be like, oh wait, I need a pen. So just read the screen when you get to the last line. And let's just take a moment to experience this in silence. And for all that has been and all that is to come, let us be in that silence together and let's see what the Spirit will do as we read this blessing. of this prayer, I want to really focus on, invite you to, as part of this prayer, I want to invite you to really focus on that last line, or the last stanza, may you travel in an awakened way, gathered wisely into your inner ground, that you may not waste the invitations which wait along the way to transform you. And so the question for this week, and even this moment, is how have you been transformed in your travels and by your travels, and even by your guests? This is a sacred journey of departing and arriving. It's one that God commands and Jesus requires.